Today is day six of our autumn seven days session. It's the 11th of May 2018. <clears throat> and today we're going to take up a koan. This is number 23 in the Shoyoroku, Luzu Faces the Wall. And it seemed uh, appropriate to um, do a koan from the Shoyoroku, Book of Equanimity, um, since it was compiled by Master Hongjo. It contains a um, hundred koans, though quite a few are the same as are in the um, Hikigan Roku Blue Cliff Record. Um, and uh, as I said, it was compiled by Hongjo, who, who added um, a verse commentary to each case. And um, the book is named after um, Hongzhou's Hermitage. And then about a hundred years later, a second master, his uh, Chinese name is Wang Song, added um, a lot of extra material uh, to each case, introduction and commentaries, both on the case itself and on uh, Hongzhou's comments, comments as verses. And the case goes like this. Uh, Luzu faces the wall. Whenever Luzu saw a monk coming, he would immediately face the wall. Hearing of this, Nan Chuan said, I usually tell monks to realize what has existed before the universe unfolded, to understand what has been before Buddhas appeared in the world. Still, I haven't found one disciple or even a half. If he continues that way, Luzu will go on to the year of the donkey. So first, just a little bit about um, our two, at uh, least two characters here, Luzu and, and Nanchuan. Um, Luzu's full name is Luzu Baoyun. Uh, Japanese uh, uh, called Rosso, and we don't have dates for him. In fact, we don't have very much material at all. There's a little bit. He was he was um, came from Chirjo and was a disciple of the great Matsu, Baso in Japanese. Um, and this is, this is reading from Zen's Chinese Heritage by Andy Ferguson. He did not leave a record of his origins or his fate. Uh, nevertheless, he prom figures prominently in Zen history for his unorthodox teaching style. When students would come to inquire about Zen, he would often turn and silently face the wall. The story, Luzu Faces the Wall, has been a koan for generations of Zen students down to the present and for us. Uh, actually, if you think about his, his teaching style, it's not surprising that there wasn't much of a record of his teaching, because <laughs> it would be the same thing over and over again. Do um, Andy Ferguson has given us um, a few little stories. We just um, 
mention two of them. Among us Zen Master Luzu Baoyun of Chuzhou, who are all the Buddhas and saints? Baoyun said, not the ones with crowns on their heads. The monk said, then who are they? Baoyun said, the ones without crowns. When Dongshan came to pay his respect, his respects, he bowed, stood up, and stood there attentively. After a while, he went out and then came back in. Luzu said, "Just so, just so. So it's like this." Dongshan said, "There are many who don't approve." Luzu said, "Why must you speak contentiously?" Dongshan then bowed. And then, and then Ferguson tells tells this story again of of Lutzu's sitting and facing the wall, um, with quite a few other comments by different masters. Whenever Lutzu would see a monk coming, he would face the wall. And uh, then the, he gives the comment by Nanchuan. We're going to skip that because we're going to look at it in a moment. Um, But other, other comments, many other comments by other masters were made on this. Xuan Jue said uh, about Nanshuan's comments, is Nanshuan going along with Lu Tzu or not? Bao Fu asked Chang Qing, if everyone was like Lu Tzu, then there'd be no records at all. Isn't that what Nanshuan was saying? Chang Qing said, uh, acceding to people in this way, you can't find one in 10,000 like this. Luoshan said if old teacher Chen, uh, Mu Zhao, Dao Ming, had seen him, he would have given him five hot jabs on the back. Why? Because he lets it out but doesn't take it in. Xuan Sha said if I'd been there, I would have given him five hot jabs in the back too. Yunju Qi said Luoshan and Xuan Sha talking like this. Which one is right? If you can sort it out, then I'll agree that your Dharma skills are proficient. Xuan Zhui said, but about those five jobs by Xuan Sha, can they reach Lu Tzu? So the point, just the point in reading all these different comments is how, how this very plain response um, generated so much uh, discussion among the masters. So a little bit, a little bit on Nan Chuan, much, much more um, information about him. Um, Nan Chuan's dates were 748 to 835, and he was also a disciple of Ma Tzu. So uh, Lu Tzu and Nan Chuan were were. Um, uh, Brothers in the Dharma, and of course Nanchuan is is famous uh, for teaching many many great masters, but probably most of all for being the teacher of of Zhao Zhou Joshu.
he was sometimes, um, even when he was young, referred to as Old Teacher Wang. Wang was his, his, um, like his surname, his family name. Of stories. After gaining transmission from Ma Tzu, Nanshuan built a solitary hut on Mount Nanshuan in Chuzhou and remained there for more than 30 years practicing Zen. A high ranking official named Lu Geng invited Nanshuan to descend from the mountain and honored him by becoming his student. Due to this event, Nanshuan's reputation spread wi widely and students numbering in the hundreds came to study under him. Another one about this official uh, Lu Geng which, which um, uh, ties in with our, our teacher yesterday. Um, when the official Lu Geng took his leave of Nanchuan to return to his duties as magistrate of Xuancheng uh, city, Nanchuan asked him, when your eminence returns to Xuancheng, how will you govern the people there? Lu Geng answered, I will use wisdom to govern them. Nanchuan said, in that case, the people there will meet with great distress. kind of being hard on a student there. Why would he say they're going to meet with great distress if, if he's going to, to govern with compassion and wisdom? Or wisdom. Last, last one. When, when uh, Nan Chuan was near death, the head monk said, Master, where will you be a hundred years from now? And this, this is a polite way of saying, where will you be when, you're, when you die? In a, sort of, um, in a delicate Chinese style, um, uh, sort of postpo postponing the, the, uh, the, the event even though it's imminent. So when Nanchuan was near death, the head monk said, Master, where will you be a hundred years from now? Nanchuan said, I'm going to be an ox living down at the bottom of the mountain. The monk said, may I follow you to that place? Nanchuan said, if you follow me, you must do so with a single blade of grass in your mouth. The master then became ill. He said to the monks, the star's light is dim but eternal. Don't say that I'm coming or going. When he finished speaking, the master died. So again, just um, uh, connecting to um, our talk yesterday about the ox. Nanshuan's asked about where he's going to be reborn. And he says, I want to be an ox living down at the bottom of the mountain.
to be a, a, a beast of burden. So back now <clears throat> to our case. Whenever Lu Su saw a monk coming, he would immediately face the wall. Hearing of this, Nan Chuan said, I usually tell monks to realize what has existed before the universe unfolded, to understand what has been before Buddhas appeared in the world. Still, I haven't found one disciple or even a half. If he continues that way, Lutsu will go on to the year of the donkey. So whenever Lutsu uh, saw a monk coming, he would immediately face the wall. We, we know just from the, the little accounts we've read in Zen's Chinese heritage that he did sometimes speak. But um, what we're told is that he would respond to pretty much all questions he received by turning and facing the wall. Um, this is a little bit like um, Gute, Master Gute, who um, whenever he was asked a, a Dharma question, he would raise one finger. And, it, and when he was about to die, he said, I received this one finger Zen from Tenryo. I used it all my life, but could not exhaust it. And then he died. So um, Ludzu is turning and, and facing the wall um, is, is like this. It's an, always fresh, always full of life, full of meaning. turning and facing the wall. So if you're, if you're working on this koan, then the first point is to, um, is to understand and demonstrate what Luzu is doing here. What is the meaning of his action? He doesn't say anything, he just turns and faces the wall. And what is this wall that he's facing? Sounds like I'm hearing the story that any old wall would do. He would just turn and face whatever wall happened to be there. But how are we to interpret it? Is it a literal wall that he's facing? He's just facing a wall. Or is it a metaphorical one? With fraught with different kinds of meaning. 
if we, if we look at this, if we look at his action at face value, then we could interpret it as an invitation to sit or to sit more because he's talking to um, people who are probably already sitting. And certainly um, teachers have exhorted their students to sit since time immemorial. Came across a um, some teaching of a Tibetan master, Gyala Yangompa, who said, uh, as an old parchment curls around itself, negative tendencies tend to come back. New habits, and I think here he's implying good habits, are easily destroyed by circumstances. You will not cut through delusion in an instance, instant. All you who consider yourselves great meditators spend more time in meditation. So is that what what um, Lutsu is pointing to here? It's certainly a big emphasis in our tradition, the Zen tradition. We think about Bodhidharma, our founder, who is said to have sat for nine years silently facing a wall. He was actually given the, the kind of nickname because of this, the wall-gazing Brahman came, came from India, South India. What was Bodhidharma doing when he spent nine years silently facing a wall? Was he teaching? He, he lived in nearly complete obscurity of course, became renowned later on, but when he was actually alive, um, it was hardly known. <clears throat> he he did his meditating in a small cave on Mount Shaolin, and can still go and visit that cave now. He lived behind, uh, the story has it, four enlightened disciples. but was probably um, hardly known by anyone else. He um, said to have done this sitting, gone and sat facing the wall after his encounter with Emperor Wu, who um, completely had not got what he, his message was. So was he waiting for something to change? So was it Lutsu to emulating Bodhidharma? Was he, was he advertising for the Zen school? If we, if we interpret his action this way, then we'd really be barely scratching the surface of this koan, though it's definitely 
Zazen is definitely encompassed by it. Perhaps, perhaps Lu Tzu had an experience while he was sitting, facing a wall, as we do together. Perhaps he saw that wall in a different way and uh, saw what he was doing in a different way. And that was why this became his, his, um, his teaching method. Something like um, about, about uh, what Dogen writes in, in Bendowa. He says, when even just one person at one time sits in Zazen, he becomes imperceptibly one with each, each and all the myriad things and permeates completely all time so that within the limitless universe through past, future and present, he is performing the eternal and ceaseless work of guiding beings to enlightenment. When even just one person at one time sits in Zazen, he becomes imperceptibly one with each and all the myriad things and permeates completely all time, so that within the limitless universe, through past, future and present, he is performing the eternal and ceaseless work of guiding beings to enlightenment. Very, very helpful and... and um, energizing to understand our sitting in this way. But, but to, to understand Lu Tzu's action, even in this light, is, is not to, to see the point. What about the wall? Is the, is the wall just a wall or does it signify something else? We, we still today, we, when we sit in the, together in a zendo, we mostly face the wall. We, we put ourselves in a sense up against it, because what what we we have to face in our zazen is ourselves. Our our mind in all its disarray, often at the beginning, and and often we struggle. We struggle with uh, what we perceive to be obstacles. 
high walls that block our way. And even when we manage to climb over one or two of them, then there seems to be just another one after that. A forest of walls. Lutzu's approach to this wall is to sit down and face it. And we could say, oh, this is our job with our with so-called obstacles in our minds, our sufferings, our, our delusive conditioning. Our job in in our zazen is to face these things, to not turn away. Uh, Master Shingyan has a little slogan that I've quoted often. He says about uh, difficulties that we 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 face them, we accept them, we deal with them, we let them go. You can't skip to the letting go part. There has to be the facing and the accepting. And then the response, if there needs to be one, and then the letting go. The part of a process. Sometimes all of this can happen swiftly. At other times, it has to go in in, in stages and be um, often re repeated. So, is Luzu saying here, face your problems? Wouldn't it be helpful if, if people did do this? Think of those um, words, very often quoted words of, of uh, Blaise Pascal. All the unhappiness of men comes from one thing, not knowing how to sit quietly in a room. So learning to, to sit quietly is, a, is um, at the core of what we, we're doing when we practice. Quietly and vigilantly. We, and silently, without words. In, our, in Zen practice, we don't analyze our problems or engage in, in some kind of therapy on the mat. We, our, our effort is to, to face what arises, that comes up into consciousness without adding anything on top, extra. Silently, this is where this, this um, 
silent of silent illumination comes in to to sit without judging or philosophizing or drawing inferences from what arises especially conclusions about our worth or lack of it just to drop all of that and just whatever arises face it and that in in itself that is healing purifying over time don't have to add anything extra there's a poem by um, Fernando Pessoa um, that addresses this uh, Pessoa had all these what he called heteronyms or different different personalities that from from which he would write poems so they these the different names he gave his heteronyms they had little like little biographies and um, uh, histories with them and this particular one his name is Alberto Cairo and there's no title to the poem it's, it was written in 1918 all the opinions ever formed about nature never made a flower bloom or a blade of grass grow all the knowledge there is of things was never something I could seize like a thing if science aspires to be true what truer science than that of things without science I close my eyes and the reality of the hard earth I'm lying on is so real that even the bones in my back feel it where I have shoulder blades I don't need reason in um, his, his verse commentary on this koan um, Hongjo says subtly transcending thought and expression he's saying this about Luzu's teaching going beyond reasoning going beyond thought If we approach this this teaching of his in this way, then we're getting closer to the the deepest meaning. In uh, num number forty eight in the Mumon Khan Kempo's One Road, um, Mumon's verse. Uh, the first part of it he says before taking a step you have already arrived before the tongue has moved the teaching has finished this really captures the the, the spirit of Lutsu's action too now for the second part um, Nanshuan's response hearing of this Nanshuan said 
I usually tell monks to realize what has existed before the universe unfolded, to understand what has been before Buddhas appeared in the world. Still, I haven't found one disciple or even a half. If he continues that way, Ludzu will go on till the year of the donkey. So as we said before, Nanshan was a friend and uh, a brother monk to Ludzu. They had the same teacher, Matsu. And so in his comment, he contrasts Ludzu's method, uh, implicitly, uh, with his own way of teaching using words. So in the, in the original Chinese, it again refers to the, to the empty kalpa here. So in other words, what was, um, what existed before um, the Big Bang? That's the question he asks his students, essentially. In other words, prior to anything existing, light and dark, form and emptiness. What were you before all of that arose? Or before, the, before there were Buddhas in the, in the world? Before there was any notion of their of enlightenment or non-enlightenment, enlightened beings and unenlightened ones. Prior to all of that, what were you? And he says, I haven't found even one disciple, disciple, let alone a half, with my teaching. And my teaching's pretty steep, but Lu Zhu's he'll be lucky he finds anyone or enlightens anyone until hell freezes over. The, the, there is no year of the donkey in the Chinese um, zodiacs. So he's saying basically um, he's going to teach forever and he won't enlighten anybody. That's, that's what he seems to be saying. But it's important to understand that often the comments the masters make um, about each other, they appear to be scoffing or, or um, slanderous, but there is another meaning there. So he, he, he seems to be saying Luzu is going to be teaching forever and not help anybody. Uh, but we could also understand this year of the donkey in a different way. Um, in that if there's no year ever going to be a year of the donkey, um, it's, it's like it's not a year that comes and goes. It's a kind of an eternal year. And, there, and so he could be saying that there's something kind of eternal or undying or... Um, indestructible in Luzu's teaching. That here, right now, today, Luzu is still turning and facing the wall. His teaching is 
affecting us. What an extraordinary thing that the action of an, a pretty obscure monk hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago is still resonating here in Swanson, New Zealand in 2018. And moreover, he didn't say a thing. Really, the teachings of both these masters, whether it's uh, Nan Xuan's words or Lu Tzu's silence, are expressions of their faith in their students. Lu Tzu and Nan Xuan have total unassailable faith in all of those who come to them for teaching. Faith that they are really rich beyond measure. That they are lacking nothing. And that's, that's where this, the steepness of their teaching methods comes from they're really saying there's no need for you to go anywhere there's no need for you to acquire anything from anybody Just look right here where you are. Just sit down and face the wall. Just go to where there is no distinctions. It's all right here. In his, in his verse commentary, Hongzhou says, in plainness, in plainness there's flavor. Luzu's um, sitting and immediately facing the wall when anybody came to see him is, is very plain, very straightforward. We might think it's flavorless, but it isn't. It, it's like it's like um, a glass of cold water. What a wonderful thing that is! If you're thirsty, it, 
Hongzhou's comments of, of uh, that Lu Tzu is unbending like an idiot. So people could interpret this as being pretty, pretty stupid. Somebody comes and asks a question about the Dharma, and the guy just turns around and just turns his back to the questioner, faces a wall. Hangzhou praises him and says his path is lofty. He goes on to say, Jade, when a pattern is carved, loses its purity. A pearl in the abyss attracts of itself. This jade, when a pattern is carved, loses its purity. Some translations, it's if you, if you, if you carve a design on a jewel, it loses its purity. But it's a little bit like our saying in English, uh, gilding the lily. Why add a pattern to something that's already beautiful, that already, already has its own design, such as a piece of ponamu? Actually, the most, um, the most beautiful is often what has flaws in it. Um, He says, a pearl in the abyss attack, attracts of itself. It's hidden, and yet, and yet we're drawn to it. Um, finally, to read um, the passage that we um, heard on the first night of Sashin. To finish the talk. And it's um, entitled The First Step in Zazen. And um, it's by Soyin Shaku, who, who came to the World um, Parliament of Religions in Chicago in, I think it was like 18, sorry, 1980 something. Um, so he was the first Zen master to encounter the West, so to speak. And this was translated by. Um, Nyogen Senzaki, who was a pioneer on the West Coast, a Zen pioneer, sent there by his, his teacher, Soyan Shaku. Arrived in the, I think the, thir the early 30s. It was an important influence for Robert Atkin. Here's what Soyan Shaku says. Zazen is not a difficult task. Just free yourself from all incoming thoughts and hold your mind like a great iron wall. Think of your own room as the whole world and that all sentient beings 
are sitting here with you as one. Make a searching examination of yourself. Realize that your body is not your body. It is a part of the whole body of sentient beings. Your mind is not your mind. It is but a constituent of all mind. Your eyes, your ears, your nose, your tongue, your hands and your feet are not merely your individual belongings, but one in joint ownership with all sentient beings. You simply call them yours and call others others. You cling to your own being and consider others separate from you. It is nothing but a baseless delusion of yours. Just free yourself from all incoming complications and hold your mind like a great iron wall. No matter what sort of contending thoughts arise in you, ignore them and they will perish and disappear of themselves. And just as soon as your thought expands and unites with the universe, you are free from your stubborn ego. You will then enter into a condition where there is no relativity, no absoluteness. You are now transcendent, far above both discrimination and equality. You have nothing to receive and there is nothing to receive you. There is no time, no space. There is no past, no future, but one eternal present. This is not the true realization, but you are walking near the palace. Just free yourself from all incoming disturbances and hold your mind like a great iron wall. Then someday you will meet your true self as if you had awakened from a dream and will have the happiness you never could have derived otherwise. Zazen is not a difficult task. It is a way to lead you to your long lost home. We'll stop here and recite the four vows.